The scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 25. I want to give you a few seconds here to turn there. Matthew 25 uh, verses 14 to 30 is where we will be. Matthew 25 and I will begin in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also who had, who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you, here, here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who, ha who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from that one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is the, the reading of God's word. Amen. Thank you, Rob Iris, for doing those announcements and prayer. Uh, good afternoon, Risen Hope Church. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. I'll be reading from the ES version, ESV version. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another he gave two to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he had made five talents more. 
so also he who had received the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to preach on the subject, how to steward while you're waiting on King Jesus. How to steward while you're waiting on King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I have prepared, but I need your Holy Spirit to anoint me. Open up our hearts and our minds that we may hear your voice in the powerful and awesome and wonderful name of Jesus and all the people of God. Say amen. There they were on the mountain of Olives, facing Jesus, perplexed over his words regarding the destruction of Jerusalem's precious temple, the epic center of God's chosen people. Moments earlier, they witnessed him railing against the city's Jewish leaders for their blatant hypocrisy and utter rejection of his messiahship. They were sitting there on the mountain of olives facing him, and his disciples came to him privately while he was sitting there, and they asked him a very important question. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? In response, Jesus, if you will, pulls back the proverbial curtains, giving them a sneak preview of future events that will participate, participate, precipitate his coming. 
alarm events will be cataclysmic in nature, and they will have a dismal impact on all the people of the planet. Jesus is saying, watch out. And as Jesus prepares his disciples to brace themselves to face the inevitable, he encourages them in three of his final parables what we ought to be doing while we wait on his return. In the final discourse, we find Jesus giving the last of his parables. Immediately following the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, which we heard powerfully preached through Pastor Alex last Sunday, we find Jesus telling the parable of the talents next. While both parables relate to the kingdom of heaven, and especially in anticipation of the Lord's return, note the key differences. The first stresses the need to be prepared for the king's return. The latter stresses the need to be productive before the Lord returns. The first emphasizes watching for the Lord, while the second emphasizes working for the Lord. In both parables, we learn what should characterize those who eagerly wait for the coming of the Lord. And we all know what it's like to wait and watch and to keep on waiting and watching, waiting for this pandemic to finally be over with, waiting to reconnect in proxy as a church, waiting for injustice to be dealt with. Some are even waiting for this baby to be born. And yes, we are expecting another one on the way. Jay is three months pregnant. I had to slip that in there. This parable really answers the question, what are we doing while we're waiting on the return of Christ? King Jesus, the master teacher, reveals to us three scenes in this parable and life lessons that we can glean from each scene on how to steward the king's resources while we wait on the king's return. The first thing, the master enters or entrusts his property to his servants and goes away for a while. In the third scene, on the second scene, the servants carry out their master's assignment while the third servant cops out. In the third scene, the master returns and settles account with each servant. What strikes me most about this parable is how it pierces my own heart and causes me to examine my own stewardship. You see, this parable for me is personal. And as we unpack the king's parable, ask yourself three fundamental questions. Who are you in this parable? Where, where is Christ in this parable? And how should I respond to Christ? in this parable. Follow me as we dive into the first scene of this parable. The master entrusts his property to his servants and goes away for a while. Look at verse 14 through 15a. Verse 14, it will be like a man going on a journey, and he called his servants and entrusted to them his property. The it refers back to the kingdom of heaven in verse 1. But what is the kingdom of heaven? Thank you for asking that question. The kingdom of heaven in, in general is the reign of God through Jesus Christ over all people and that those who repent and believe in Jesus 
enters into God's reign in the present, which continues into eternity. Keep this in mind as we unpack the parable. The master called his service and entrusted to them his property. Notice right away the possessive pronouns. His servants and entrusted to them his property. Lesson number one. Everything we have belongs to Christ, including ourselves. We really don't own a thing. You may have paid off the mortgage in a car note, and you might even have the title deeds in your hand, but we really don't own a thing. Psalm 24 is emphatic. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they and them that dwell therein. The king owns everything, and we're simply his stewards. We're not autonomous creatures. We did not create ourselves. And as Pastor Tim would say, check the label. God created us in his image and redeems those who believe in him, and we're held accountable to him. Can I get an amen out there somewhere? John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, these talents did not belong to these servants, but to their Lord. These servants did not belong to themselves, but to their Lord. Knowing that God is the owner and we are his stewards impacts the way we manage his stuff. Can I get an amen? God's fingerprints, the king's fingerprints, is all over us. The word stewardship comes from the Greek word okrinomios, which means somebody who manages a household, a person who doesn't own the household but manages it. In other words, the stewards in the ancient world, of course, were entrusted with everything from seeing that the floors were clean to managing the owner's finances to even being the public face of their household. Joseph was an excellent example of this. Verse 14, he called his service and entrusted to them his property. Our lives are on loan from God and we're held accountable to him. This is the fundamental principle of biblical stewardship. God owns everything and we're simply managers or administrators acting on his behalf. Ask yourself this question, what do I have does what I have belong to me or to God? How I answer this question determines whether I act like an owner or God's steward. It will make the difference between me possessing something or that something possessing me. I wish I had time. I once heard that money makes a wonderful slave but a terrible taskmaster. C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity said it this way, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking and of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. And if you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense his already. Let those words sink in. It's easier for us to give and invest when we, when we understand that we have a stewardship mindset. We're not, we don't own this. We're just stewards. Verse 15, the Scripture says, to the one he gave five talents, to, to one he gave two. And to another, he gave 
each according to his ability. Then he went away. He gave according to each one's ability. In other words, God always gives us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Notice the owner gave each servant according to his ability. He doesn't give more than what they can handle. He doesn't give less than what they can handle. He gives them the appropriate amount. He is fair and gracious and dispensing exactly what they can handle. Just enough for their ability. Somebody say, just enough for your ability. Amen. Perhaps this is why the first guy was given five talents as opposed to two talents or one talent. It would be demeaning to him if the master would have given him one talent when he had the capacity to manage five talents. His Lord knew what he can handle. Conversely so, it would have been a crushing responsibility for the one talent guy to be given five talents knowing that he couldn't handle it. All three were given the responsibility to produce a return on the master's investment. In lesson one, everything we have belongs to Christ, including ourselves. We don't own a thing. We're just stewards. In lesson two, God, what God has called you to, he enables you to pull it off. No excuses. That's important to keep in mind as we read this parable. Verse number 15b. Then he went away. Please don't over overlook this short sentence. Then he went away. In other words, he did not feel it was necessary to stick around and micromanage his servants. He gave each of them an asset account and stepped off. There was no direct supervision from the owner. In fact, they had no instruction on what to do with their talents. The silence in the text seems to make the assumption that each servant knew what to do with their talents. The Lord of these servants going away meant that he can trust them with his property. He did not have to look over his shoulders. He did not have to feel the need to stick around to ensure the job got done. He simply stepped off. In essence, Jesus is describing what the kingdom of God will be like which follows his resurrection and departure and before his second coming. That's the in-between period. He is basically describing our time. <laughs> the time of managing and investing his resources in his kingdom while we're waiting on his second coming. Are you following me? Now Jesus shifts the parable from scene one to scene two. The two servants carry out their business assignments while the third one cops out. Let's observe the actions of the servants, verses 16 through 18. These first two servants make 100% profit on their investment. They were entrusted with a significant amount of money. Let's look at the servant who made five talents more. Verse 16, then he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. You see, the first servant already had his mind made up. 
about what to do with his master's money. There was no question in his mind. He was not indecisive on his part. He moved with a sense of urgency. He invested five talents and made five talents more. You do the math. His master gave him five and he brought back ten, doubling his talents, giving him 100% return on his investments. I once heard that delayed obedience is disobedience, but not so with this servant. This guy did not drag his feet or complain. He just went to work. And when he went to work, he made his money go to work. You can Instagram that. I have to say this, that that when we go to work, it's not as a way of earning right standing with God or self-salvation, no. We work from a place of already being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, apart from works. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 9 and 10. For the work of our salvation has already been completed in Christ when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Yet let's not forget verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul even said in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who does what? Works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're working in cooperation with God in our sanctification. Work is good for us. Putting in the work is evidence that we possess faith in Christ, as we will see next Sunday. (laughs) James made it very clear, faith without works is still dead no matter how you try to resuscitate it. Yes, we're vibing with this first servant. We appreciate his level of dedication and determination to make things happen. Watch what the second servant does with his two talents. Verse 17. So also he who had received two talents made two talents more. Do you see the pattern of faithful stewardship here? Five talents multiplied into five talents more. Two talents multiplied into two talents more. Each servant was entrusted to manage their master's assets. We ought to be productive during our wait on the king's return. Lesson one, everything we have belongs to God including ourselves. We don't own a thing. We're just stewards. Lesson two, what God has called you to, he enables you to pull it off. No excuses. Lesson three, while we're waiting on the king, we ought to be increasing the value of what he has given to us. In God's economy, it's called multiplication. We multiply. God gave Adam and Eve, as representatives of the human race, a clear mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. The king of the universe expects us to give a return on his investments. King Jesus authorized his followers at the end of this book to go make disciples of every nation. That's multiplication. John tells us that Jesus called us to produce much fruit and so be his disciples. All throughout the majority of the book of Acts, 
many disciples were added to the church daily, those who were being saved. That's multiplication. And then that famous passage on God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We are to double and triple the master's assets. Lesson four, real biblical stewardship can only be done well as the king reigns in us for his glory. Remember, the master gave each servant according to their ability. He knows exactly what we need to get the job done. To be sure, none of this can be done apart from the king reigning in us, supplying us with the resources and the ability to manage them for his glory. We're reminded in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17, as we heard read earlier by Pastor Leo, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here's the key verse. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I talk in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I walk in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I eat in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I share my faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I relate to people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I give in the name of the Lord Jesus. I steward everything I possess in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not with perfection, far from it. Such can only be done as Christ reigns in me. Amen? Jesus made it abundantly clear. John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. A branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so far, so good with the first servant. We're filling him. Now, the second servant is entrusted with two talents, went out and invested it and bring back two talents more. So far, so good with the second servant. Ironically, there's a twist to the parable found in verse 18, causing the original readers to perk up. Notice what the third servant does with his one talent. He broke the pattern. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug into the ground and hid his master's money. Wow. I asked myself, what was this guy thinking? This amount of money may look small in comparison to the other two servants' talents. But please understand the amount of money this man put into the ground. A talent in Greek is a certain weight or large sum of money. In fact, in the Old Testament, a talent was 75 pounds of pure gold or silver. In Exodus chapter 25, 
verse 31 through 40, just one talent of pure gold was used to build the sacred lampstand in the tabernacle according to God's specifications to Moses. In other words, this third fellow was given 75 pounds of silver. Silver was a currency circulating in that time. Later, we discover that Judas betraying Jesus with 30 pieces of silver. That was chump change compared to what this servant had in his possession. The kind of currency, this kind of currency, may not mean a lot to us in our day. But to folks back then, that was a lot of money. Commentators tell us that this was roughly 20 years worth of wages for a day laborer. Let's park here for a minute. What was this man thinking as he buried his talent in the ground? We're going to discover his rationale, why he did what he did in just a moment. But let me just say this for now. He was into maintenance, not multiplication. He was into maintaining the status quo, not risking his talent to make a profit for his master. This servant had received the least of the talents, but he was doing the most by way of nothing. He put his master's money in the ground, defeating the purpose for which it was created in the first place. The last time I checked, the only things that deserve to be dug into the ground are seeds. At least seeds have a return on their investment when deposited in the ground. The owner said, you knew I reap where I scattered no seed. He was putting his master's money somewhere it didn't belong. He put it in the ground, but it really belonged in a bank or an investment account to double it. Can I ask you a question? Where are you putting your money right now? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you putting your money in places where it doesn't belong? It would be a tragedy for you to spend your money, money that you don't have to buy things that you don't need to impress people that you don't really like just to keep up with the Joneses. But you have no idea what the Joneses had to go through to get to where they are. Plus, the Joneses might be physically wealthy but spiritually broke. I wish I had time. Lesson five, when the faithful servants or the faithful stewards go to work, they make their money go to work. In the ancient world, nor today's society never created nor intended money to go into the ground. Money belongs in banks, stocks, bonds, 401Ks, CDs, investment portfolios, or spent on things, but never ever in the ground. That's not playing it safe. That's being irresponsible. It was Donald Whitney who said that one of the biggest indicators of one's spiritual maturity and godliness has a lot to do with how one handles money. These servant stewards were sent to work, and two of the three went to work, and when they got to work, they made their money go to work. The third servant simply went the opposite way of the marketplace and certainly didn't make his money go to work. Instead, he buried it in the ground. Lesson six, stewardship runs deeper than money. It deals with your whole life. In a sense, it's more than hard work. It's heart work. It's deep work. The parable is more than about money and how to manage it. 
is really about the broader principle of stewardship, stewarding whatever God has entrusted to you. Still more often than not, countless people are mismanaging more than money. They mismanage their time. They mismanage their giftedness. They mismanage their talents and abilities. They mismanage their homes and jobs. These stewards, this final steward had mismanaged his talent. This stewardship, stewardship stretches beyond paying our tithes and offerings on Sundays. It's more than managing a budget and getting out of debt. Lynn A. Miller said it this way, stewardship is really the act of organizing your life so that God can spend you. Wow. You see, this third servant refused to be spent by his Lord. See, although money now is used as the currency in this parable, a parallel can easily be drawn to other things that we don't usually see as currencies, but really are. We've been entrusted with creative talents. We've been entrusted with time and spiritual gifts and abilities, opportunities, resources, ministry, a spouse, children, household, health, relationships with others. <laughs> In fact, the concept of the talent we think of today as America's Got Talent or a sports scout who travels to numerous high schools and colleges searching for good talent or talented players to play professional ball or a talent acquisition specialist whose full-time job is to search for talented individuals to join their corporate team. Millions of dollars are spent every year to search for good talent. It is no surprise that the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary correctly recognizes that this word talent, which came to mean a natural ability or gifts or endowment on individuals, the dictionary specifically states that the meaning of this word comes from the parable of the talent in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. It has become one of the most popular words used in just about every facet of society. All of what we have in our possession is more than talents. They are kingdom capital. And how we manage or mismanage these currencies have unavoidable consequences, be it good or bad. It doesn't impact our eternal security in Christ, but it does impact our rewards, as we will see in a moment. This universal application is to all mankind, not just the believers, but unbelievers. Don't forget Judas Iscariot was listening to this parable among the twelve. Our stewardship is even broader than how we handle our money or material possessions. Paul says that Christian workers are stewards of the mysteries of God. He describes pastors as overseers, Stewards of God. He even says, or Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In our final parable, in our final scene in this parable, the Lord of these servants finally returns after a long period. Scene 3. The master returns and settles account with each, with each servant. Let's look at the master's return. Verse 19. 
Now, after a long time, the master of their servants came and settled accounts with them. The disciples inquired about the time that Jesus would return in the beginning of chapter 24. Jesus indicated that his return would not be immediately, but you will need to look for the signs. No one knows the day nor the hour he will come, but he promised he will come, and we need to be ready when he comes. Notice here, the master gives these servants more than talents. The Scripture says, now after a long time, the master came to them. In other words, this master gave them the gift of time. <laughs> Notice these servants were given plenty of time to make things happen. But this third guy had no concept of time. He wasted time and therefore wasted compound interest on his master's money. Whereas the first guy managed his time well, the Bible says at once he went. He understood that the wise use of time equals money. Conversely, the one who wastes time wastes his money. The one who decides to waste his talent ends up wasting his time. Those who waste time end up wasting their treasures. Keep in mind that all of us are giving the same amount of money, or giving us, I'm sorry, all of us are not giving the same amount of money, nor the same talents or spiritual gifts or abilities. But all of us are given the same amount of time. Each of these servants were given a different amount of money, but all three were given the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. Time is a currency like money. Lesson seven, what you do with your time impacts how you will be rewarded in this life and in the life to come. Another way of saying it, what you do with your time determines what you become in life. This servant wasted his time and became an unprofitable servant. From the very practical standpoint, if you're out of shape physically, how you spent your time has a lot to do with it. I'm guilty of this. One man commented, I'm a walking economy. My hairline is in recession, my waist is a victim of inflation, and together they put me into a deep depression. I wish they had time. Our bodies is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom we have from God. We are not our own. We've been brought with a price. Many, many people spend most of their time losing their health to try and gain wealth and then spend the end of their life losing their wealth trying to gain their health. Isn't that so true for people who misprioritize God and his stuff? If you're out of shape spiritually, how you spent your time has a lot to do with it. You cannot secure victory in spiritual matters without determination to read and study and fellowship with other believers and pray with persistence. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Young people, you have to watch your close associations. He who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. I just want to make this practical. Being around corrupt company will corrupt you over time. Listen, a house can be burned down. A car can be totaled. Your hard-earned cash can be stolen or wasted on debt. But once you lose time, you can never get it back. Time cannot be regained. It's irretrievable. 
The psalmist said, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom, Psalm 90. This man failed to use his time in preparation for eternity like those five foolish versions. Versions. Paul later picks up his pen and writes, redeem the time because the days are evil. You and I will be held accountable for how we use our time. This guy had plenty of time to dig that town out of the ground and to invest it, but he did nothing. And he lost the compound effect that that talent could have in that time. Verse number 20 to 30. Once the owner returns home, he audits his accounts. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of their servants came and settled accounts with them. The question is, how are you managing your various accounts? When the Lord opens up your portfolio right now, what will he see in your marriage account? For God hates divorce. How about your household account? Raising your children in the fear and ambition of the Lord. How's that going? <laughs> God has entrusted me with my wife, Jay, and our baby, Hannah, and this new addition on the way. That's a sobering stewardship for us. God will hold us accountable for how we raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. How about your bank account or savings or investment account? What about managing and redeeming the time account or investing your talents and spiritual gifts account? What about let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your father account or go therefore and make disciples of all nations account or treating our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit account? Technically, these are not all separate accounts, but one main account, a diversified portfolio with all of our assets that God has entrusted to us to manage and invest. And he will hold us accountable on that final day. All of these resources entrusted to us is his kingdom capital. This parable is personal. How are you stewarding the king's portfolio? It was Greg Gilbert who said it well. It is our obligation as people created and owned by God to give him the honor and glory that is due him, to live and speak and act and think in a way that recognizes and acknowledges his authority over us. We are made by him, owned by him, dependent on him, and therefore held accountable to him as so clearly laid out in the book of Romans. Christ will judge his people not for salvation, but for rewards based on our works as stewards. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 through 11. Paul warns us in that chapter, in that verse, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Listen, there's no way for us to tiptoe around this. So what were the rewards for these faithful servants? Thank you for asking. The reward for the first servant who made five talents, verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The master was full of praise and excitement, for these first two servants, and he gives them a commendation. 
When one becomes a public accountant for being trained to handle finances, he or she receives a CPA, which stands for Certified Public Accountant. But in God's economy, when you, be, when you handle your resources well, you receive an APC, which is CPA backwards. Your APC is, and it stands for Affirmation, Promotion, and Celebration. These are the words we want our Lord to say to us on that final day. Affirmation, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been trustworthy with my property. Now it's time for your promotion. You have been faithful over a few. I will make you ruler over much. He started out as a servant and was promoted to ruler. Wow. Celebration. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In other words, let's celebrate together. Anybody working on their APC? Likewise, check out the reward for the one who made two talents more. And he who had received the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The second servant received his APC as well. Affirmation, promotion, and celebration. Enter into the joy of the Lord. See, the goal of both of these faithful servants was not promotion, but entering into a world of joyful fellowship with their Lord. <laughs> There's clearly no greater joy than being enraptured in our Lord's presence, hearing him utter those words that we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. The, psalm knew, the psalmist knew this very well in Psalm 16. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now we turn to the punishment for the one who buried his one talent, verse 24 through 30. And he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Notice the servant's choice of words. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Sounds familiar, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like familiar language? You recall when God came looking for Adam after he disobeyed the directive not to eat from the forbidden fruit of that tree? God asked Adam a very simple yet profound question, where are you? How did Adam respond? Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You see, this is the default mode of the human heart. I was afraid, so I hid. The bottom line is this servant was making excuses for mismanaging his stewardship. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. But his master answered him, you wicked and lawful, slothful servant. Definitely not lawful. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. I once heard a saying that stuck with me. There are three groups of people in life. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who ask the question, what happened? 
That was this guy right here. He was a what, what happened guy. Why did this servant do such a foolish thing with his master's money? That's the question I asked myself. He only had one talent to invest from the start. My mind began to race through all kinds of possibilities. Both the owner's evaluation and the servant's excuses exposed his heart behind burying his talent. Why would this guy bury his talent? Perhaps he thought, I know my master's money will be safe in the ground. Maybe I could just keep it protected there. I guess you can call this guy, he was overly conservative. But in reality, he was self-absorbed. Yes, we would agree that he had a poor system of money management. He had bad character, for he was called wicked and lazy. Today, we, we would call somebody like this ratchet. He was driven by fear, laziness, and selfishness. He was crippled by his own fear of rejection and failure. He was called an unprofitable servant. He did what was right in his own eyes. He did not care about excellence, nor did he care about balance. He did not care about his Lord. He just wanted to get by, like so many people today. Because he was afraid that he might fail, he never tried to succeed. You will always miss 100% of the shots that you never take. At least this man could have did would put the money in the bank There was no risk in doing that, but he didn't. Burton states, ultimately, any exercise in extravagant stewardship involves risk. The bottom line for the wicked and unfaithful servant was that he was risk-averse. He was afraid of losing on his investment that he simply did nothing. Somehow he thought that the safest way to double your money is to fold it up and put it in your pocket. Not. The ultimate problem with this guy was not his laziness or fear of taking risks, but his real issue was that he lacked a relationship with his Lord like the other two servants. In fact, he lacked faith in his Lord, and it was evident in his actions and attitude. Your relationship with the Lord changes everything. In reality, this guy had bad theology. His concept of his Lord was so grossly distorted that he could care less what he did with his talent. In verse 24, Master, I knew that you to be a hard man reaping what you did not sow and gathering when you scattered no seed. I was afraid and I hid. He refused to have the reign of his Lord in his life. And that, of course, impacted the way he treated his Lord's stuff in the first place. You see, in the third scene, we learn that he did it because he had bad theology. It was A.W. Tozer that said it best. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Clearly, this third servant had little to no regard for his master. I once heard that the trouble with most people is that their earning capacity doesn't match their yearning capacity. You might be naturally good at handling finances, but poor in your relationship with God. It was Billy Graham who said that a checkbook is a theological document. It will tell you who who and what you worship. This man's use of money shows us what he thought about his Lord. Likewise, how we use our money, time, talent, and resources is a reflection of what we think about the Lord. Who are you in this parable? 
Where is Christ in this parable? How should I respond in this parable? How should I respond to Christ in this parable? The kingdom of God is the reign of God through Jesus Christ over all people, and that those who repent and believe in Jesus enters into God's reign in the present, which continues into eternity. This was not about this guy's talent. He had a heart issue. His heart wasn't right. He didn't give himself over to his master and thus refused to repent and trust his Lord. And thus he refused to be spent for his Lord. And then comes the devastating moral lesson in this parable as I wrap it up. Listen to how this guy loses out on mismanaging his master's property. Verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. To everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's the lesson in this master's judgment of the unproductive servant. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But he who has not, even what he does not have or or what he has, it will be taken away from him. Does this language sound familiar again? Jesus employs the same language in Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 15, when he breaks down the parable of the sower and the seed. He tells his disciples the purpose of the parable. Then his disciples came to him. Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Here's the key verse. But to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has, this will be taken away from him. (laughs) This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Lesson 10, we will be held accountable for how we manage and invest in the king's resources. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. If anyone builds on this foundation of Christ, using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. Will our king say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or will he say, well So these disciples of Christ will be held accountable, not for salvation's sake, but accountable to their stewardship on this earth. We see that rewards are an integral part of the Christian's life, that Jesus himself punctuates the very last chapter of the book, the last portion of inspired revelation with a clear announcement concerning them. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to everyone according to what he has done. At the heart of this, this servant did not want his Lord to rule over him. Consequently, look at his Lord's evaluation and pronouncement of judgment on him. 
it was fierce. It wasn't just about the talent. The talent was the tip of the iceberg. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather seed where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. In essence, what the master was saying to the servant, what you have done was criminal. Jesus now gives the punchline to the parable in the final verses. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have it abundance. But he who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as I read that last verse, it was kind of disturbing for me. I was like, Jesus is talking to his disciples? But I couldn't help but to think about Judas, the treasurer of the disciples, who would dip his hands in the finances to help himself every now and then, a.k.a. he was a thief. And he mismanaged his stewardship. And in the very next chapter of this narrative, we find Judas betraying Jesus for only 30 pieces of silver. And sadly, he becomes that servant who was cast into outer darkness. Not because of greed or betrayal, but mainly because of his rejection of Christ. So let me ask you a question as we recap these jewels in this parable. How we steward while we're waiting on the king. Lesson one, everything that we have belongs to Christ, including ourselves. We don't own a thing. We're stewards. He is the owner. Lesson two, what God has called you to, he enables you to pull it off. No excuses. Lesson three, while we're waiting on the king, we ought to be increasing the value of what he has given us. Lesson four, real biblical stewardship can only be done well as the king reigns in us for his glory. Lesson five, when faithful stewards go to work, they make their money go to work. Lesson six, stewardship runs deeper than money. It deals with your whole life. Your theology will impact your practice. Lesson seven, what you do with your time impacts how you will be rewarded in life. Lesson eight, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. Lesson nine, everything the Lord has placed in your care, you either use it or lose it, but burying it is not an option. Whether your gifts or talents or time or treasures, maximizing them for the glory of God. Lesson 10, the Lord will hold each of us accountable for how we manage or mismanage his resources. And just like the wicked servant that Jesus referred to in the first of these three parables in chapter 24, verses 48 through 51, this wicked servant here is banished into a place of torment, spending eternity separated from God, which is elaborated on in the final judgment when Jesus separates the sheep from the goat. What does this mean? Does this mean that if I mismanage God's assets, that somehow I'm going to be in danger of losing my salvation? No, that's not what this is talking about. What this means, that if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as this wicked servant didn't have with his master in this parable, you are in danger of being cast into outer darkness. There's no way to sugarcoat it. 
If you do not trust in the complete work of Christ, who shed his blood for you on that cross for your justification before God, you are trusting in your own stewardship, as this unprofitable servant did, as a means of self-salvation before he was cast into the outer darkness. If you have never become a steward of the greatest gift known to mankind, the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, then it really doesn't matter how well you balance your checkbook or invest your money for profit. You can have the highest financial intelligence, but if you reject Christ, your destiny is out of darkness. But the good news is this. Today can be the day of salvation for you if you don't know him. Let's pray. Father, I ask that if there's someone out there, Lord, that's hearing this message, Lord God, that does not know you, will repent today and believe in you as Lord and Savior, that they may be spent for you, for your glory. Help us, Father, as we wait on your return, that we will be great stewards over your possessions. In Jesus' name, amen.